What is author marketing mastery through optimization, you ask? I'm going to tell you. It's the best way for us authors to make a living selling our books. Are you tired of hearing gurus tell you your book is only good enough to be a lead magnet for services? Are you tired of feeling like you have to be a slave to social media and then frustrated when that time doesn't actually help you sell books? I was too, until I found Ammo. Ammo is the only program that reliably produces results and it works for anyone. Is it hard work? You bet. Do you have to overcome some of your own prejudices to make Ammo work for you? Absolutely. But rather than being another program that rah-rah shishkoombahs tries to get you emotionally excited only to offer unclear methods, Ammo shows you how to design profitable ads step-by-step step through a unique, never-before-tested formula. The founder, Steve Piper, is a data-loving, formula-driven author who escaped the kingdom of Amazon to build a platform for himself where he sold directly to his readers and built a loyal following. With Ammo, you know who's reading your books, how to contact them, and what they want to read next. If you've always been frustrated with Amazon's wall of mystery, of not knowing who's reading your books, of losing 50 to 70% of the hard-earned money you make through book sales, Ammo solves all of those problems by putting you in the driver's seat and showing you how to fulfill your books directly to your readerships. Click the link in the show notes to learn more. My guest on today's episode is Eric Peterson. He is the co-creator of Space Bastards, a graphic novel. And this conversation is so fun in that it's unique to the program. We've never had a graphic novelist on before. And if you are an author thinking about joining Ammo, this is one that's really going to pique your interest because you can see how Ammo is malleable to different genres and areas all throughout writing. It doesn't just apply to fiction or series or, uh, you know, certain anything else's. If you write it, they will come. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, a bastardization of, of uh, field of dreams. It's not even what, what it is. If you, if you build it, he will come, you know, it's, it's more about a, you know, relationship with a father and a son you know, making kind of like amends and that sort of thing, you know, wanting, wanting dad to be proud of you. I want my dad to be proud of me. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> I do want to let you know that I just got back from the Cincinnati Comic Expo Hawking Books with David and Lydia Scherer. I'm working on getting them both together on an episode so that we can give you a, a recap of the event and talk about all the things that are so amazing about it. Those two are a storehouse and a wealth of information, and it just would be an amazing episode. So I want to get them both together on an episode. I don't have anything scheduled with them yet. I also do want to let you know that I got my number two stretch guest of all time coming up next Wednesday. It's an episode you don't want to miss. It's already in the books. And the funny thing is, is that there was a scheduling snafu. And so I had to have that interview sitting in the hallway at the Cincinnati Comic Expo talking to that person while people were running past me in, in total cosplay costumes. It was a riot. It was a lot of fun. I dare say that even though my recording quality is probably a little bit iffy, it's going to be kind of charming. I dare say. I dare say. It was a lot of fun, and I know uh, I've had a couple of back-and-forth emails with this person. It it was good. It was all good. It was great. It was fantastic. But you know what's really fantastic, too? Eric Peterson, co-creator of Space Bastards. Please enjoy my conversation with Eric Peterson. This is TRBM Ammo Edition. If you're a published author and want to make a living writing books and selling them to avid readers, you've come to the right place. There's simply no program that's more successful at driving readers towards the books you've written. So the only thing you have to worry about is writing a great book. And the system with enamel takes care of the rest. Thanks for listening to this conversation. There's some different things that you're doing because of the the price point. I, I would assume that it causes you to need to figure out a few different things than maybe Steve's program normally talks about. Is that true? Yeah, there's um, in fact, I just wrote an email to Steve like last week that about the differences, just in case it was ever helpful if he gets another comic guy or whatever. I mean, yeah. Uh, 
it's absolutely essential to us, like what Steve, you know, Steve's program taught us. And and then, yes. um, and then there was like definitely a point where we like, like started scale and it's like, oh no, wait, we can't scale the same way. We've got to do some different stuff. So when you talk about scaling, tell me a little bit about the differences that you discovered in scaling comics versus, or, or, and, and let's, let's make sure that anybody listening understands it's not just comics. It's also graphic novels. It's anything with a visual element to it. And yeah. the reason that that's so important is because the cost of printing something with color paper is quite a bit different than printing a black and white novel on the standard paper. So with that in mind, talk to me about some of the differences in, in scaling. Sure. So, and, and don't let me forget. I also would love to talk to you about, yeah, that production side of it and the cost exactly. that changes kind of how we do our, our, our sales funnel and, and the, and the flow and all that, but Absolutely. just like specifically, I guess, um, in terms of scaling, the biggest thing for us was like, I don't know. Somebody mentioned, I, th- I want, I want to say it was Naomi or somebody, but they mentioned like the target goal of like 30 million for an audience. Right. Okay. And it's always uh, changing, by the way. I mean, yeah, I know. When, yeah, I, I, when I started the program, they told me to to like get around seven hundred fifty thousand to a million, and by yeah. now, like, yeah, it's just so different. Yeah, and so that's our biggest challenge is that once we started like uh, trying to raise our budget and scale, and 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 we we knew we were profitable or whatever, it was like we imploded like a week after that. And the reason for that is is that thirty we we can't comic book readers are such a nuanced thing that yeah. Uh, we can't just put in like John Grisham or something, or I can't put in like a genre. That's right. That's right. That doesn't necessarily mean that they read comics. I can't put in a movie uh, because right. even if they're a fan of maybe a comic book movie. Yeah. Uh, doesn't mean you read, mean comics. They read comics. Right. And yeah. So it's like, it's super nuanced. And so it's actually what I'm spending most of my time doing right now is I'm, I, mm-hmm. I spend like 90% of our marketing time testing audiences um, because that's cool. It's, it's, it's really, and, and what's weird too, is that it's not just like, I can put in authors that I think we bear a similarity to and not all of them yeah. will, uh, will produce. And so uh, when I, when I started, there were like four target authors that were kind of got us up around 2 million. And that was kind of the, what I ran yeah. with and we were profitable. Um, but when I started trying to scale up more than that, uh, I was like, something's not working here. And then, so when I, what I did was I, I ripped that apart and I tested every single audience, uh, you know, every single author individually. And then I found out that even the four that we started with, there was like two of those that didn't produce, you know? So we were wasting yeah. money on, yeah. on, on, that's on those. Really, that's really savvy. I like that. Yeah. I mean, but it's, it's, it is one of, that's the biggest difference is the fact that I can't put in, I can't put in like a genre because it doesn't necessarily mean they read comics. I can't put in comics because it doesn't necessarily mean they read mature readers comics, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, or I should, I should say like the biggest differentiator is that we're, we don't do superhero books and, yep. and inevitably most comic readers are like, you know, Marvel or DC guys. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Kind of like, so, well, that doesn't, that doesn't mean you're going to buy our stuff, you know? And now time for a little ad break. Have you ever heard of the Luke and time mysteries? If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you have. The host is also the author. The Luke and Time Mysteries are for anybody who likes a little R-rated action with a bit of magic, as well as characters who do incredibly unlikely things, such as drink two gallons of bourbon in a single sitting. It's local, it's place-driven, it's voicey, it's hard-boiled. And where does all of Lyle's food come from? Find out these details and more when you buy The Luke and Time Mysteries. Click the link in the show notes and we have every format available. Don't miss your chance to get a 60% discount just for being a podcast listener. Now back to the show. Have you have you ever seen uh, David Little's Stitches before? Is that Are you familiar with it? No, not at all. Okay, so this is a beautiful, beautiful book. Anybody who's just watching, you can't, you're going to have a hard time even seeing it on, on my screen. But his illustrations are beautiful. And what I love is this is a graphic novel. And... Um, it is not. There's no superheroes. It's literally a guy's memoir that he decided to tell in graphic novel. And so he tells the story of kind of like his parents' uh, addictions and his abuses and all of those kind of things. And so it's very much just a uh, what you would expect to be a memoir, but told in these extremely graphic uh, comic book kind of text layouts. Uh, yeah. And it's it's beautiful. It's one of my favorite books. I love it so much. Um, There's a a lot of stuff that 
I think people don't, it's a problem nowadays because the movies are fantastic. Like it's so great how much success that has brought to uh, the world of comics, but it, it also doesn't help. Like it doesn't help when it like the marketing stuff that we're dealing with now is kind of like actually a good pointer on like an industry issue, which is how many, like, okay. So there's several, you know, there's like, millions and millions of comic book fans now because of the movies but that doesn't necessarily yes. mean that they know stitches you know what i mean it doesn't it doesn't necessarily right. mean they would buy a memoir in comic book form or that they would want to read something adult in in nature or mature readers in, in a comic book form it's like a very very specific thing um yeah. so yeah you know it, it's the marketing thing's awesome from a standpoint of producing revenue but also yeah. just pointing out things about demographics that uh, you just don't normally consider you know so what i really enjoy too is and this is somewhere i've never gone on the podcast before which i really i i'm, I'm just happy to have you as a guest and uh alana as a guest before you and talking about these kind of nuances that i haven't talked about with previous guests in in the actual targeting of the ads. So for example, um, Alana was just on. So people who listen to this podcast will have just heard her by the time they're listening to you. Um, she's writing Christian thriller with kind of a PG-13, almost but not, not quite R-rated kind of an audience. Right. I am writing uh, mysteries with an R-rated audience that need to laugh. I, I like, I cannot help but go for the joke. And so every page I had a friend, uh, JP who, who used to read for me. He was not exactly a beta reader. He was just a reader for me. And he always was like, if you have a page that doesn't have a laugh on it, you failed. And that just like soaked so deep into me. And so yeah. everything I write, I'm writing not, I'm not playing for a laugh. I'm not like a, you know, a comic who's like, ha ha, gotcha. You know, I'm really thinking about what's the humor in life? What's funny? But sometimes the humor in life for me comes in a scene where somebody's about to get killed or raped or something really dark. And yeah. when you try to find the audience <laughs> that wants to read that book, you have to get super creative about how do I, how do I narrow down my targeting? That's what you're talking about right now. So let's stay here for a second, even though it feels like we've talked about it a fair amount and talk to me more about the, the minutia of how you're targeting and what you're doing. So you pointed out something really kind of key as well is, um, and it, and it, it actually, it, it isn't just an ad thing. It, it also comes to us when we're pitching for like TV and, and movies is like, we'll sit there in the pitch room and, and Sp uh, space bastards has a fair amount of comedy, but it's also primarily action, but it's also science fiction. <laughs> and it's kind of one of these things where it's like, you'll, you'll register the person that you're pitching to like tr sorting that out in their head and coming back to you. Or it's just like, it's like, is this a comedy? Is this a, and yeah. it's like, yeah, sort of. I mean, but it's, it's all three of these things, you know? And, and, uh, in terms of the ad stuff, it's that same thing. It's like genres can be really tricky because I, I at least in, in my case with Space Bastards and, and the other stuff I write too, is I don't really believe solo like genres. I, I believe that yeah. there's a secondary genre or maybe even tertiary genre. Absolutely. So who knows? Like, like there might be guys that are really into comedy and they want to read a comedy that don't want to read an action. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or vice versa. So, so it's 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 kind of a dicey thing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with you, even when you said tertiary genre. So for again, like diving into me just to relate to where you're at is I went to an MFA program. So I got my grad degree um, and they taught me how to write literary fiction. It was supposed to be slice of life. No, you know, just as real as you could possibly be, the realer it could be, the better it was. So yeah. that's in my blood. I want my characters to feel three dimensional real. I want everyone to have character development and um, just like fleshiness to them. But I also want that, that comedy. And I also want that like blood and gore. I think that, uh, connecting to what you're talking about is, um, that Ryan Reynolds, Deadpool kind of area where like Deadpool in general, this is a great, yeah. <laughs> we're literally testing Deadpool right now. That's awesome. Okay. Like, awesome. How's it going? Well. Not yeah. doing well. Okay. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I wonder why, I wonder why it's not doing well. It's again, it's like the, it's, uh, again, I, I should try and stay on topic in terms of marketing or, but, but my head, no, not is, really. We go, we go wherever we go. My head is all over the place in terms of just the industry in general, because yep. of the marketing is actually doing all this audience research to me has pointed out a lot of the turbulence within the comic industry because of the fact we'll use Deadpool as an example, right? It's like, yeah, I'm targeting a guy who really likes Deadpool, right? Yeah. Does he read Deadpool? 
Does he read? Exactly. Yes. Is he a spandex spandex fetishist? I mean, is that he's only into superheroes? I don't don't know. It's such a big thing. And and then the other thing, too, that Joe, my co-writer, and and I were talking about yesterday is I was like, man, I wish there was a movie that was like Guardians of the Galaxy, the (laughs) radar. And I could t- and it had like and it was super successful. It was as successful as Deadpool. Yes. And I would target that audience. I would try. And then we realized we're like, that movie doesn't exist, which is yeah. why our which is why our book exists. So we can't target that. You know yeah. what I mean? Kind yeah, of- you know what's you know what's great is that you're on the you're on the doorstep of so many different things because I keep thinking Sin City is the other one that I was just thinking of. Yeah, is like Sin City's right, it. except Sin City's not quite funny enough. But right. it's clear it's clear to me um, in a way that I usually don't have when I interview that you and I actually are trying to do the same things with a slightly different spin. So I I, I want to one day, and I think I told you this emailing before we got on. Uh, have my novel is as a graphic novel because it's perfect for a graphic novel. It's got like every element of it is right. Um, And I I think the encouraging thing for you and I, and anybody who's listening and thinking like I do something bloody, gutsy, nasty, and hilarious, we might be the front of a wave right now. That might be the truth. The truth might be we're the front of a wave. And so it'll take us a minute to find the swell where we surf. But it's always, it's when always, we start to surf, it's going to be cool. You like you don't want to be the first head through the wall, you know. I mean, but sometimes you are. <laughs> but yeah, you kind of have to be if that's just the way you're going, you know. Um, yeah, it scared us. I mean, we 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 have a publisher, yeah. these bastards. Like yep. they out the single issues, they put out the trade paperbacks and stuff, and then uh, the hardcovers that we sell direct is really how we fund like the sequels yeah. and, and paying the artists. Cause that's like our biggest cool. financial hurdle. Uh, doing okay. it. Um, awesome. but, but part of that was, I mean, we spent many years making it because it's something that Joe, my co-writer and I just wanted to exist. We're like, we just crack each other up writing it. And yeah, the, the, the hard part about that is that you have this space of like several years where you just don't know if that audience is even out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was the coolest thing when the publisher released the single issues and we're like, Oh my God, we're not insane. Like there's yeah. other people that like the stuff that we like. And, and, and then again, like having to sell direct ourselves and build out the audiences and all that stuff uh, has taught us a lot about like, well, we know who these people are, but it's like, it's, it's, they're buried. They're, they're out there, you know, they're buried beyond all these other genres, you know? Yeah. You know, um, and and then we're going to go back. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about your process because you also have a very unique process in that, um, it's a bit like TV. It's a bit like film. You have a bunch of people creating one single product versus most of the people who are on the show. Most of the people who listen are single creators doing everything all by themselves. Um, and so I, I think that that's a really important piece. Um, I also think that uh, the dichotomy between what is coming and what you're doing. So how are you able to do direct sales and how are you able to do a publisher? Because most people can't do that either. I mean, there's so many nuances here. Sure. So um, that, that was a big sticking point um, before we signed up with that publisher was it was uh, for me, I mean, I, I've come from kind of a history of, of owning businesses and like doing startups and stuff like that. And yeah. so uh, much to the, I think the annoyance of everybody who works with me and has to, go through contracts and stuff is like, there is that innate part of me. That's just like, okay, well, what if, what if, like, what can I control? Like what, if, if these guys are doing this or whatever, and it doesn't go the way that I want it to, or whatever, is there, can I build in something where I know at least I got this? And and that's what we did with space bastards. That was really yeah. super important to me. And also too, I'm like a diehard, like, uh, like hardcover graphic novel, create uh, a collector and so mm-hmm. and space when i first built it even before we had the publisher that was the first thing i did was uh make a hardcover and so for me it was kind of like no matter what happens in all these other iterations i just yeah. want to i want to at least know that like my stamp is this like i designed the hardcovers and i yeah. it's my prized baby you know um so yeah and so yeah I, I guess to your point yeah that's not normal um and it annoys <laughs> It annoys a lot of people to have to go through that process contractually, yeah. but but I'm I'm uh, for for me it's like super important, you know. Absolutely. Where are you based out of? Kind of, like, sort of like final cut on a movie or something, or being able to be like, yeah, you know, no matter what the studio does, I want to still have my director's cut, you know. Absolutely. 
Yeah, I think that's really important. Um, it's so much easier with a novel where the old, where where like the the buck stops with you. You get to decide yeah. every final thing. Um, where are you based out of? Uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Aha! How hot is it there right now? Actually, today has been pretty. I, I haven't checked the temperature, but I think we're maybe in the eighties, like high eighties, ninety. Okay, yeah, it's not bad today. It's been we've had some storms, yeah. like hurricane okay. weather has rolled in. Yep, yep. So it's kind of cooled everything off. My cousin lives out there, um, and so I pay a little bit more attention to it now than I used to. But I've I've traveled uh, the United States extensively, um, and Tucson in the spring is beautiful, but Tucson in the summer and Phoenix is just like, oh my god, how did that many people live there? Like, I'm surprised your tires aren't puddles on the ground <laughs> when you go yeah, out to like there's... work and stuff. Yeah, playing here, flying to Phoenix, coming back on a trip during the summer. Yeah it's like 90% of the time it's delayed because it's too hot to land. Like yes. for real. And, and yeah, it's nuts. The, the thing is, is like, um, I mean, it's beautiful eight months out of the year. I mean, that's the thing. It's just, there's four months where you want to die. That's yeah. That's, you know, it's, it's, it's funny that you say that because that's actually true of where I live too. So I live uh, an hour North of Omaha. It's beautiful eight months a year. And then there's the four and it's actually the same four months. Um, mm. it, it's like it's so humid and so brutal here that like you don't want to step outside that humidity is just oppressive when it gets that way um and then so i should say it's two months are the same and then two months in the winter so like i have two summer months where that humidity and that brutality is crushing and then like january february where the coldness so we have two months here and two months there you have kind of probably four months right stacked in the summertime where it's just killing our our winters and actually since it's a writer's podcast i can wax (laughs) philosophical on this but please do (laughs) it's my church is yeah at night everybody's asleep i go light a fire and it's like you know 50 degrees outside which is like cool for us like in december and i smoke a cigar and i write i mean it's like if i don't if i don't do that every night i go insane and so during the summer when it's like like 101 degrees at like 1 a.m i'm like going up i I added i added misters to my little writer's nook and so now I'm, i'm i'm a little bit cooler during the summer but yeah (laughs) i'm jealous i'm jealous of you that have like harsh winters though because i think i think i used to work in the southeast like i'd have to Mm. out there and stuff and and uh the first thing that occurred to me culturally out there was how much more of a survivalist mentality everybody has because of Mm. like yeah arizona is brutal during the summer but it's not the same thing it doesn't breed like a Hey, it doesn't breed like a walking dead sort of mentality where <laughs> everything crumbles. We know how to survive and in, in, yeah. in the Southeast or in where you live or where, wherever there's like actual seasons and, and brutal winters. It's like, there's a different mentality that comes out of everybody. I feel, I feel like people come out of that. Like just knowing that, like if the roads shut down, like my children yeah. will die. I know how to right. do this. That is very true. It, yeah. You 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 undoubtedly know people who have lived in places where they have brutal winters because of the way that we drive when there's weather conditions. That can even be rain. Like, I think it's crazy to drive in places where people don't have rain very often because, like, it's raining and people slow down like it's yeah. snow. And you're like, what is wrong with you? Um, yeah, I will. I will say for uh, just kind of a contrast that the only times in my life so far that I have been truly uncomfortable to the deepest level is in extreme heat. So uh, mm-hmm. my wife and I moved from Omaha to Oakland, Nebraska, which is just an hour North uh, in the dead of summer two years ago. I believe it's two years ago. Um, at any rate, I mean like that, that, that season that I was talking to you about where the humidity is just, just crushing you. And so we're moving boxes and all day. And so I am, I'm moving everything. I'm lifting, I'm going upstairs, downstairs, in, out of corners. And obviously you have your utilities off because the doors are wide open so you can move stuff in. By the end of the day, I broke out in the most disgusting hives. Like my body was like a map of hives all over because I got such bad heat stroke. Like (laughs) it was the most uncomfortable thing in the world. Uh, So heat, definitely is not a, a, a day in the park if it's too much. I think I like being wet. I, I've realized that I'm yeah. definitely, I'm, like, I'm definitely a winter guy. Yeah. But lately I've been like, I've been like, man, I like swimming. <laughs> like I like <laughs> each stuff. And yeah. that, that means yeah. I think I am a heat guy. I think I'm. Yeah. 
I, I am too. Yes. My, my desire is to be by the ocean or by a large body of yeah. water. Coeur d'Alene, Idaho is, is probably one of my favorite places on earth, if not my favorite place on earth. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about books um, and your process. It's unique what you're doing. So talk to me a little bit about like to talk shop as if you're talking to somebody who knows something about this process. How does everybody divvy out the writing, the illustration, uh, who gets paid? How do they get paid? All that kind of stuff. Sure. This is amazing, by the way, too. I, I promise I will I will give you what you need here. But short preface. <laughs> yes. I do do a lot of podcasts, uh, but they're not writer podcasts. Okay. And so typically, when I start talking process, which I love to talk about. Yeah. I, th- I think deep down, I'm, I kind of always wanted to be a teacher. My co-writer yeah. and the podcast host and everybody just kind of rolls their eyes. They're like, we don't, <laughs> we don't hear about this. We yes. want to talk about page 11, issue seven or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, for me to be able to be like, oh, let me tell you how I make the sauce. Like, yeah, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so this this podcast has it's it's fairly large at this point, but it grew slowly because of that, because I was so dedicated to process, to marketing, to like the nuts and bolts. There's like if you host a podcast right now that's like, hey, here's how you write a novel. Like uh, you got to do steps one, two and three. <laughs> and like yeah. everybody listens to that because people want to know how to finish a book. I'm speaking to people who have finished a book and actually want to know how to get readers. And that's a lot harder. And it's a smaller slice of the pie. Yeah. 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 Go well, for like, it. Like you said, <laughs> you know, head through the wall. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, so. Uh, the books, the comics I've written in the past, I tended to be the only writer and believe it's still a great, uh, I still love the process, but on this one, because we started by making like crappy short films. And then, uh, we were like, like, this is, it's so hard to make like a good short film, let alone like sci-fi, which is what space bastards is like this. It's never going to look right. Is that it needs to be a comic. And by that point I was pretty adept at knowing the process for making comics. And I knew artists and, and had worked with a lot of, um, artists and stuff. And so, uh, it just made, it, it made that like natural transition. Um, but because of the movies and were always made with me and my buddy, Joe, um, I was like, well, we're going to co-write this thing. And that was new for me. And now it's like, I never want to go back. In fact, I'm, I'm getting ready to write a bunch of other stuff. And I think I'm going to be a, the solo writer on all that uh, non space master stuff, like other stuff. And it kind of intimidates me a little bit because for years now I've had this wonderful thing with Joe where, um, I have a sounding board, you know what I mean? I can, I, I, the thing about having a co-writer that I love the most, um, and even the artists is, is, um, you don't have to think about the audience. You think like all that stuff we talked about earlier. I just like divorce myself from all of that when I'm creating the biggest thing I try to do is just think of a guy, like think of one person as my audience and try to elicit a joke or a laugh from them, elicit tears from them or whatever it is. It's, it's, it's so much easier to, to work with that one guy, whether that's your co-writer or whether that's your artist. Um, talking process, the biggest thing with Joe and I is that we're like, like we're, we're diehard um, outliners. So like we are outlines for an issue of space, but like a 30 page yeah. issue of space bastards that outline might be like 10 pages. Like by the time I'm actually scripting, I'm not thinking about structure at all. All that Joseph Campbell stuff has already been done for months yeah, and months. So we're bouncing back and forth. Third, thirty page, thirty page uh, issue, ten page outline. Yeah, yeah. Because I'll, I'll we'll literally like we'll rip it apart and we we'll want to know everything. And the cool thing about that is that when it comes time for scripting, I'm focused on two things. I'm focusing fo- focusing on dialogue because that hasn't been written. That's all fresh, and so I get to kind of like act. You know, like put myself in the shoes of the characters. And then the other thing I'm thinking about is direction. Comic book scripts are different than novels and they're different than like screenplays because you're, you have to call the panels. So like a script for a comic book will literally be like page three, panel one. We, we see blah, blah, blah. Whereas like in a screenplay, you don't do that. You don't, you just, you're in a screenplay. It's like describe what is happening. Yeah, you've you've got saying. a still. So you have a still moment. Like you need to encapsulate a lot of movement into a still moment. for totally. a and, and the cool thing about that is that like, again, the audience is that like for that, when I'm writing my script, I'm not writing that script for the people out there to read. I'm writing it for the artist. I'm like, it's like directing is like, I'm writing a script to be like, all right, I need, if, if Derek Robertson's the artist on this, I know what Derek likes. And I've, I've typically like, Oh, that's the other thing too. I should, I should point out is that like, there's a few different artists that work on space bastards. Um, and 
what I'll do, I'll already know which artist is working on which issue or like which arc. And so what I'll do is before I write that script, but once the outline is done, I'll do, I'll read nothing but that artist's work for like two weeks. So that way I'm thinking in terms of like Simon Bisley's like mind's eye, like how he tends to draw and, and portray motion and portray, you know, movement and character and all that stuff. So that way when I'm writing the script for him, my mind hopefully is like, like cinematically thinking of a Simon page, you know what I mean? And, and how, uh, how, how long, how long does it take for you to have that kind of like uh collaborative vision that you're actually thinking about the artist you're working with uh to write instructions for that person i think i'm hearing you right and that's what you're yeah. doing and yeah. that is that is uh just a really really beautiful thing i hope other novelists can figure out a way to integrate something about what you are doing because we talk about um in in non-visual novels we talk about thinking of your ideal reader so you don't necessarily write to an audience but you write to a person that you believe you will please and that's kind of what you're doing in a sense i don't know that please is the right word in this case but you're artist like you are literally crafting words that make sense to another human being that is yeah. a trip it's and there's a bit of strategy to that as well because you don't want to tell well, think of it like an actor right you don't ever as a director want to go up to an actor and be like say it this way like you they they you'll freak them out like you can't do that it's the same way with an artist i don't want to go up to an artist and be like draw it this way what i want to do is elicit a certain reaction or emotion on their part so that it comes out out in the right direction you know what i mean so you talked about final cut earlier um, yeah. how much of that is going on. So if the artist delivers something to you and you feel like I really missed uh, the 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 target on this one, do you go back and tell them like redo this panel? It didn't turn out the way I needed. Or is when there it, a level of, you know, tattoo artists where you're like, hey, what's done is done. <laughs> it's, um, I've, how can I put it the right way? There's two things. It's like, we've worked with artists who don't get it. And then it's like, this isn't going to work. And and that's always, that, that, that doesn't happen a lot, but when it does happen, it's, it's always really uncomfortable, obviously. And then the other side of it is too, is like when you, I'm proud of the artists that have, have worked on space bastards and gone to print because it, there's almost never like a lot of corrections. Most times it's maybe continuity. It's like the stuff that they made is really good and, and it's better than I, than we envisioned and it's in the right direction and everything's cool. But the bracelet is changes hands between the panels. We got to fix that. So that stuff's pretty easy to like reach out to them and just say, Hey, can you redo this? There's been occasions where we have gotten something and it's just, yeah, it's not there. Or like, it's just, and in those situations, again, it's like directing. You're like, I, I, I find for me, my favorite thing to do is point out all the stuff that they did right. And then carve away and be like, what we wanted, what we, what we need to do is somehow get to that. We need to get on this page. We need to, we need to elicit that. We need to get this on that level. You know, it's, I don't think it takes so much work for these artists. I mean, it's like backbreaking work every, I don't know a single comic book artist who does not have back problems, like when they're older, you know, and yeah. Yeah. And you it's like to get a standing desk. Uh, if, if you've noticed, right. like I'm moving around all the time, it, it really does help so much. <laughs> but it's like, I try to think of that whenever I'm, I'm critiquing or there's changes because changes suck. I mean, they don't want to do yeah. that. It's just, it's not fun to have to redo something, but I think of how I want to be talked to. And if I just put my heart and soul into something and it's just not there yet, you get the best way to get that. I feel is to like, is still be friendly and, and cordial and complimentary about it. And then, and then, yeah. On, uh, yeah, this just needs to be fixed. You know? Yeah. There's, there's an interesting thing. We are going deeper into process than I often do on the show, but, um, what I have noticed for myself and what works really well for me, I have three people um, who read everything that I write uh, and they don't always love everything that I write, but there's just three people. And then it goes to edits. Um, I don't, like I said earlier, I don't consider them betas because I'm going to take a lot of what they say and I'm going to craft toward what they say because I trust their taste. It sounds a little bit like that's going on for you is that you found these people that you work with and you're like, I trust your taste. I know that what you're doing is for the best. Um, at the same time, I think there's something really interesting in 
those people learn how to speak to me in a way that I receive because it's really tough for me personally. And I'm just speaking for myself right now, but maybe there's others out there who feel this way. It's really tough to take criticism. I don't even like the culture of constructive criticism. I like the culture of, hey, you did really well here. You did really well here. You did really well here. I start to just calibrate toward the things that they don't mention and also the things that worked well. And I go back to the blank spots. It's almost as if they've like highlighted spots and then said, you know, those are the good spots. And I actually go back to what they never mentioned and fix those to elevate them to the place of the good. So uh, I saw you smile earlier, like you almost had a connection there. And I just want you to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, way to Oprah this up, but I am the worst at what you just talked about. I can't, I play okay. music. I don't think I can be in a band ever again. Like, <laughs> Oh no. Okay. I, Cause I, you're an asshole. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't, well, some people would say I am, probably, <laughs> but I, I don't like create, I don't like people seeing, <laughs> this is not terrible. When I'm creating, I feel naked. I don't want people seeing me naked. I'm like, I don't want, yes. I don't yeah. want anybody to see this thing until it is like ready. You know, um, the same way that like when I write music, I don't want anybody to, I don't like anybody hearing it or giving feedback. The only person I want to give me feedback is my engineer, you know, is just, Hey, this, you need to replay this or whatever. I, and and that, that's like the cool thing about comic creation is like my best friend and I kind of like married together on this space bastards thing. And we, and we can volley yeah. back and forth. And if, if, if we hurt each other's feelings, it's just us, you know what I mean? It's like nobody else is yeah. in that, in that bedroom. And then it's like, by the time it goes to the artist, I know it's pretty refined. And now I'm just collaborating with that artist and nobody else has to see that. You know what I mean? Until it's, it's ready. And, and that's, that's a really, uh, again, it's like, this is why I said the Oprah thing is it's like, that's probably not like a great part of me that I have to have it that way, but that's how I really like it. I, I like, <sighs> I like, yeah. I like being really careful about who sees what, you know, and, and, and yeah. really doing that. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, I mean, I'm pretty sold out on the idea right now. Now there are people there's, there's your Joe Rogan's out there. There's your Jacko Willinks, the, the people who are just like, I'm, I'm going to go and anything you say, I'm going to do rah, rah, rah. You know, like if you're a Marine and you happen to be listening, you probably think that I am a total uh, pansy. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I, about that. I, don't know. I, know? I just, I, I think, I think what I'm saying is I applaud your, your willingness to, or your openness to be like, I need there, uh, there, there, this, the, yeah. uh, you know, the, uh, there's other people that maybe know better and I'm going to get their feedback and they're going to see this. I don't think I'm mature enough to do that. <laughs> yeah. I disagree with you. I think, I think what you're saying is the same thing as I'm saying you have your friend that you're writing with. Um, My, my wife uh, is the world's most critical human being. We laugh about it sometimes. Uh, and she is one of the three readers that I have. And oftentimes I have to be like, Hey, all I need to hear is what worked. And yeah. I need a reminder of that because she will come Um. So this is, uh, for example, anybody who um, has listened to the podcast for a while, she'll read a book that I'm writing and she'll be like, I liked it. And blah, 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 crush, crush, crush. And I, I don't hear I liked it by the end. I hear you are shit. It's and like, so, the, it's like you cook beef stroganoff or something and somebody's like, I mean, it was delicious, but you know, the yeah. salt and the, <laughs> blah, 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 and you're just like, <laughs> you shitty beef stroganoff. Oh, I'm sorry, by the way. Yeah. I, well, I've, I've cursed. I've cursed so many times. It's oh, an explicit right. podcast. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, realized too, okay. I stuck in my teeth. And I'm, of course, half the podcast has happened before I've realized this, but I've got yeah. food yeah. and yeah, teeth. Yeah. We'll see, but that's right. <laughs> nobody, nobody will see it until now. Um, right. And then they'll rewind and, and look. But yeah. um, so as far as ammo goes, you joined ammo. I would love to hear about the moment when you thought I need that kind of help. Uh, and I would love to hear from you, you know, what your, what your thought of, of Steve is and how, how the program goes. I'm trying to remember, I don't recall seeing you on a call, maybe once, maybe one time I saw you on a call, but maybe on and off. I was, I was on a bunch of them over a series of months. And then ironically, yeah. I got invited to, uh, this other group that's, uh, that I, and, and, and basically right when that happened, my, work life got crazy and I haven't been able sure. to join and stuff, but, sure. um, 
Yeah, in terms of finding ammo, um, like I said, I kind of have an entrepreneurial background. But the one thing that I've never successfully been able to do was e-commerce. And it drove me nuts because all my friends, my friends will like make like, you know, a key rack. And they're like, I've sold like 300 of these things online. And I don't even know what I'm doing. And I'm like, I'm like, I made a good book. I've like tried for like decades to make a good book. And I made a really good book and I can't sell this thing online. What is my problem? And so I some I forget how I found one of Steve's ads, but uh, there was that. I don't know if I was supposed to do this or not. So I don't, I don't condone this. I don't advocate this, uh, but uh, I weaseled my way into like a quick call with Steve before I, I bought in and all that. And, and just told him about, I was like, I'm in a really weird situation. I made this thing and literally like there's thousands of them in my garage and, and, and in an office downtown, we have physical stock. It's not prints on demand. The finances of that actually, after a lot of trial and error and a lot of work there, like, worked out it's in our favor uh but I, i'm i i'm for the life of me i cannot and, and and not only that but like like so the co-creator of space bastards on the artist side is the co-creator of the boys and the boys is like a hit tv show i'm like by me by me just like like throwing that out there you would expect to move some but i can never do this in a profitable way i can't i can't make ads work in my favor so the fact that steve was specifically focused on how to sell fiction um, was what sold yeah. me. That was the thing where I was like, oh, I don't have to, I'm not learning. Uh, there's a million marketing gurus out there, right? Like I'm not talking to those guys. I'm talking to a guy that's very much about specifically what I want to do. Now it's not comic books, yeah. but it's again, like 90% of what he taught me applies. And uh, and so then, I, yeah, it was like, yeah, it was earlier this year. It's like, that's when we started, started doing it. And then um, and even then it was like a lot of trial and error. It was like, Cool. Like all the texts, it's so funny. All the posts I see about people having kind of like technical snafus and all that, that all came pretty easy to me. I didn't really get hung up there. Um, the stuff that hung me up was just, uh, you do your tests and we're like, cool. That stuff tests really well. And then we launch and we're like, I think we're doing okay. You know, and then just chipping away at that and, and, and like your live testing as it were like, you know, there's the testing when you're like, like before you go live, you're like just testing like your images and you're trying to find your perfect ad, right? Like all of that to me was very, went very, very well. Uh, my obstacles and challenges started once it was like, we're live and the math doesn't quite add up. So what are we doing wrong? And, and trying to, trying to get those conversion rates higher and, and all that. Okay. Now. So this is, I think this is specifically interesting to anybody who's trying to do direct sales or maybe is thinking about joining the program, but um ooh. Well, I'm going to try to segment this down a little bit and also let me know if you have to go. We're getting ish close to the 45 minutes I told you. And I know I said we might go an hour. Um, and so just let me know when you absolutely need to go. Okay. Um, when I joined the program, I was running the text ads and blowing the uh, metrics out of the water. Every like it was it, like there would be four or five that would just crush. So I would take four or five texts and I would go and I would grab images. And this was just before AI existed. So I wasn't doing the journey or anything like that. I was just grabbing images and like I would pair those images with uh, uh, the the text and I would blow the metrics out of the water. Yeah. Um, and so then I would I would take that and I would put all of the, 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 you know, the full ad together, basically. I'd go sales page. I've always done direct sales because... I'm already doing something that you're not supposed to do. So you and I are both kind of in that same boat, which is I'm selling two live novels and two pre-orders. So I'm selling a four book deal for $14.99. Um, I've tried many different variations, but this is the deal that works. This is the deal that's profitable. Four book deal for $14.99. It took me a very long time, a like seven months to get here. But um, it, it was like, I would run those variations and I would, I wouldn't even tell people that there was pre-orders. They thought they were buying four live novels. And I told Steve on a call with everybody there, Hey, I'm going to do it this way. And if anybody gets angry, I will give them an instant refund and let them keep the books. So nobody loses. If they're mad that they only got two and they thought they were getting four fine. Um, but it was like so angering for me that I would have this perfect ad that all the metrics were good. And the moment I started running it on sales and put it out there, I could not be profitable. 
could not be profitable. Have you experienced that at all? Or have you experienced like a disconnect between the metrics and the actual outcome? Yes, like 18 times, but it's <laughs> 18 different challenges. I, and I'm, I'm I'm embellishing, but it's like, uh, I take your pick, right? Like, it sounds like what you went through, you've got two different, you've got multiple challenges there. I mean, one, the biggest thing is, is that, all that testing with your ads does not factor in the fact that you're doing a pre-sell. You know what I mean? That's a big, that in itself is a big data jump. And I don't know the way around that either, you know? But nobody, nobody knows it's a pre-sale. So literally when they see it, even, I don't even tell them in the sales page itself. There's no place that that they know until they bought it. Right. Then then we can throw that out. Yeah. But I couldn't quite figure out the, the thing for a very long time. Now, again, I do run a profitable funnel now, but it took me a long time. I was super stubborn too, though. I think that I have the most unique sales page of anybody in the program. Um, in saying that, I think because you're a graphic novelist, uh, I would love to see your sales page. I'd love to show it to the listeners in the in the show notes. Um, but let's dive back into you a little bit because you, know, you said like 18 times. So yeah, so we did the... The way that it's illustrated in the course, which we started with the the free the, the ebook offer, right, to collect email addresses, and then from there you take them, we take them to the sales page, and then from the sales page, obviously to the cart. Um, and we were doing good. I don't know if we were quite profitable, but our conversion rate was really, really high. It was where it was supposed to be on yeah. the landing page, and then on the sales page. And uh, I I think it was. Rachel, I forget who, but somebody was like, nah, like get rid of the email, get rid of the landing page, like just go direct to the sales page. And so we started doing, then I'm like tweaking stuff every single day because for some reason, my stupid, like Asperger's mind thought that it was like, oh, well, I need my sales page to convert at 25%, you know, or higher, not 10 to 12. Uh, Mm, And so I was tweaking all the time, thinking I'm failing, not hitting 25. And then they're like, no, dude, you're at like 12%. Like sales page. Yeah. yeah, Calm down. And so I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. So we're fine there. Then when we started, when we were profitable and we started to scale, the biggest thing for us was, um, oh, I should clarify too. When I say profitable, because there's people, I don't want people to be like, you owe me money. I don't mean, I mean, profitable return on ad spend is what I'm talking about. So the, uh, uh, for us, it was like, once it was time to scale, that's when we ran into the audience challenge that I talked about earlier, where it was like, it was like, dude, like, we, why are we profitable? Why is our ROAS good at a, such a granular level? But the minute we start to scale, no, it's not. And then I realized yeah. I was like, oh, well, because of what we do, look, we got a good ad, you know, and, and we got good graphics. I mean, part of the, part of the doing a graphic novel is like, illust- like the art you need for your ad is already built. I mean, we have all that. Yeah. Um, but what else could it be? And I, I'm not joking. It was like, it was like six weeks of me, like, like getting pretty existentially manic. Yeah. Because like I figured this yeah, out. Of course. Right? of course. Like I thought that I found a solution uh, and I was so proud of myself and now it's broken. And then, and then it, finally it was, it was that was like realizing like, Oh, we don't, we can't handle audiences the same way as everybody else. You know, we can't mm-hmm. like, we can't be genre based. Um, yeah. It's such a weird thing. It's like, I don't know. It's like, uh, think of the most like eclectic, like prog rock band. I don't know, Swiss cheese or something like that. It's like, we got to target Swiss cheese fans. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I got to get. <laughs> and, then, and, and we, we play with this now is I'll test audiences. We're below where we should be in terms of audience quantity. Um, but it's tested. They're, they're proven audiences because we test each and every one. Yes. And, and one of the things that w- the trouble with us is that it'll be like this author that we're targeting converts, but that author is yep. only 250,000. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, trying to get up to 30 million or whatever. That that's, that's a, that's a challenge. That's if, a challenge if, that we still haven't cracked, you know? Yeah. If between you and me, it helps at all. Uh, the winning audience for me is at about 4 million. Um, I have tested as many audiences and uh, as you have uh, ad infinitum. It's stupid. Uh, and finally, I found this audience. And what I did was I tunneled. I've never done this before. Steve actually doesn't teach it in the program. I don't know if anybody else needs to do it the way that I do. But what I ended up doing was I said at the highest level, I want to target ebook, 
uh, paperback and audiobook because I have all three. So I have all three of those. And that in and of itself is a 314 million. It's maybe even bigger than that. And then from there, I tunneled down into the genres. So I picked um, mystery, detective, and um, there's a there's a specific kind of fantasy. I'm having a hard time thinking of it right now. But essentially, it's just like um, urban fantasy. There it is. So I have uh, mystery, detective, and urban fantasy because part of my novels are actually magical. Um, And then from there, go ahead. So you're doing it in reverse then. Basically, like it's like it's like the it's like the I mean, I don't want to confuse terms. Sure. Your your tunnel makes sense to me, but it's like the opposite, basically, of I think what's in the course. The, the course basically would have you do your genres and stuff, but they have to. And then, yes. you know, ebooks and, you know, Kindle and all I, that stuff. I do a little bit. Yeah. So my my biggest level is like the formats that I want. So I want to make sure that everybody uh, that is in here does format first and foremost. And then after that genre, and then after that author, and then uh-huh. after that specific tastes. So um, I have like, I go uh, Stephen King. Um, I'm having a hard time thinking of the authors right now. Um, what's the guy who writes The Crow? If you're listening, what's that? You mean like the comic The Crow? No, no, but that's a great comic too. I love that. <laughs> that it's a, it's a novel called The Crow. Or I mean, you know, it's, it's called The Raven. Thank you. It's called The oh, Raven. Okay. Um, at any rate. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I take, I take four or five authors and then after that, I actually take lifestyle interests like humor, uh, and different things like that. So by the time that my audience is funneled, it's gone through like six funnels. It's very specific. And because of that, it's a real small audience, but for the first time ever, after I built that audience, I have had an absurd level of conversion so like my yeah. ads run really smoothly i convert well there was a period of time where i was running a three row ad, and it was like whoa uh, i don't think everybody should do what i'm doing but it was because of the hardship of how specific i was trying to get yeah do you mind saying what the number is like after the funnel like what the what the total the audience size is yeah i think it's four million i mean i can i can actually oh, look for you right that. Yeah. I, yeah. I think i did yes but i think it's four million so it's it's not like a super small audience but it's a it's a fairly small audience compared to what you're supposed to be doing right now and it's working really nicely um, yeah facebook's telling us that we need to add like 1.5 million in order to like lower our cost per ad click you know? yeah yeah uh, of course I, and i'm like like so now that's why deadpool comes into play that's why i'm like trying to find these big yeah movie whales that might convert for me and i I don't think it's going to work i think i have to come up with something else but i i agree with you that trying to use movies i and i did actually for a while so um one author that I used for a long time unsuccessfully was Chuck Palahniuk because I thought Chuck Palahniuk is fairly close to what I do. He's vulgar. He's funny. uh, He's gregarious. He's outgoing. Like all these things that I am and my books are. um, And yet fight club every single time it felt like I had this movie audience coming to me that wasn't quite the right fight club for me. I wanted the fight club, the novel I wanted, uh all of that kind of stuff and i just never quite got it so i mean yeah i mean you're i i wish i had the answer in terms of this because i'm dealing with it right now is that it's like i'm like all right so if i knock out movies what like i can't i can't be like batman because our stuff's not like batman at all yeah exactly it's It's so so annoying you know, but nobody's ever laughed in a Batman movie unless they laughed at Jack Nicholson in the first movie. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's just not Fight Club's actually. It's so funny that you bring that up because that's like spot on for us. I mean, if people were yeah. like Fight Club, the comic in space, I'm like, oh, that's, that's here you go. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah. But it again, it same thing. It's like too many, too many, like, like too many um, hoops to jump through in terms of logic there. Yep. You know I mean, it doesn't work. It's like. Yeah, I don't know, and and I know it's really weird. I feel like I feel like I'm I'm probably being, uh, I'm risking sounding egotistical when I say there's just no book like my own. But it's like, but it, but it, but it's that as I'm like I'm like, dude, I just can't figure out the stuff. I can't find the mil- the the big multi million audience yeah. thing like yeah. fits very specifically what we do. 
you know i think that i think that both you and i in this conversation are are certainly not risking sounding egotistical but i think both you and i have named uh, a handful and a fairly large handful of different influences that have led to the creation of what we're doing yeah. and finding the audience that really appreciates those things obviously look you and i i mean like two of us you would enjoy the book that i wrote i would enjoy the graphic novels that you're writing i would love what you're doing um i haven't read it yet i'm going to read it but uh you know i guarantee you with everything in me that there is a big audience out there right now that is so excited to experience what you've created there's a weird thing so i will say this right like it's not all uh, uh, you have to understand like we're very happy with how things are going if i sound doom and gloom it's really it's just because i'm yeah i'm tackling a challenge right now when it comes to the audience and specifically audience with scaling. Uh, but the the thing that's so awesome that happened immediately with ammo for me was the fact that you just get this sense that you're tapping into. I'm tapping, I'm, I'm tapping into a different audience. For sure I am. I'm tapping into the guys yeah. that do go to their local comic shop every day, tapping into the guys that don't come up to me at the conventions. It's like a different, there's like this whole other yeah. planet of people out there that I didn't know existed. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's, it feels really, really, I just, there's just some of the logistics and the, and the strategy behind it or whatever. We still have to like, you know, we're still. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay. So in closing, one of the things that I think is really, really could be a game changer from you. If you haven't reached out to David and Lydia Scherer, they are part of this program. They're past guests on the podcast. Um, Lydia's books have nothing to do with your books or my books, but they do a lot of comic cons. So I'm going to be with them next week in Cincinnati at the Cincinnati comic expo. Um, And they sell so many paperbacks Mm. that it's like, you can't ignore the success that they have and what they're doing. David would be a great person for you to connect with. Let him know what you do. Um, anybody listening who is in a similar seat right now to Eric or myself, reach out to David. That guy is an unbelievable storehouse of knowledge. He's part of the ammo program. He's been profitable for a really long time. He also sells a card game that's based on, you know, the the books that Lydia sells. And so it's it's uh it's not. I'm trying to think of how he would describe it. I wish, well, just go listen to that episode, but it's, it's a card game based on the books and it's, it's a interactive kind of role play game. Uh, very cool. And uh, they are just, they, they, they do so well. They're hiring an employee who ships all of their paperbacks and card games and everything. So very awesome. successful. Um, it would work really well for you. Success is in a, abundance. I know that you're already having success. I know that you came to the MO program already uh, on both feet, um, firmly planted on terra firma. What's coming for you is bigger than you can believe. What's coming for you is like just huge. And so I'm so excited to have you on this show. Tell people where they can find your book, where they can interact with you, where they can follow you and uh, all of that good stuff. I do have like an author page on Facebook and I do have an Instagram and stuff, but it's way easier if you just remember space bastards. So on social media, it's space <laughs> underscore bastards. Uh, if in order to get the books and whatnot, go to spacebastards.com. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and then the the last thing that we didn't really talk about, I mean, you've, you've, you've kind of like created a constellation of space bastards, but talk like, tell, tell me, tell me, Tell me space bastards. I really, I'm, I'm excited to, to hear, you know, space bastards. Pitch the book. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. So in the future, there's, uh, uh, America has taken over the com- cosmos and not everything works right. Actually, and, and let me preface this real quick. This is the pitch that my co-writer Joe hates. He, he, we, <laughs> we rival each other in terms of how we pitch the book. Anyways, the, when you are disenfranchised and you're bummed out about your life, you join the Intergalactic Postal Service. The way it works is that whoever delivers the package gets paid. Postal workers can use any means or weaponry necessary to steal that package and deliver it themselves. And the more times that package changes hands, uh, the more times that you hear the dispatch bracelets go parcel transferred, um, the more fees that the customer pays. It means that the package becomes more competitive. And so you have this kind of like bloodthirsty version of like Uber or Lyft where um, it's a gig economy. It's people who... 
uh, you know, would rather get shot at for a living than have a boss, you know? So, uh, <laughs> it's a very, it's a very action packed kind of, uh, you know, story at the same time, it's very sardonic and dark in its humor. Um, but my favorite thing about it is that it does sort of explore a little bit of, you know, existential crises. It, it explores this sort of like feeling of, um, what it takes to become master of your own destiny and all that stuff. That, that's what I mean when I say it's like a little bit fight club, you know, like there's yeah, absolutely definitely a little bit of like uh, no father figures kind of stuff buried deep in there, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. I love it. Thanks for your time. Sure. Thank you. Oh, Thank you for listening to TRBM. The theme music was provided by the ever-talented Christopher Talon. And hey, if you liked what you heard, share this show with other readers because what's the point of telling stories if nobody's listening?